Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's so wonderful to have you joining us today where we are continuing in our series of growth as Christians. And specifically today, we are going to be talking about our identity and our love for ourselves and how that is an important feature of Christianity. It is an important feature that Jesus spoke about, the Bible speaks about, is not the selfish kind of things that we do for ourselves, but an actual healthy love for ourselves. Have you ever met somebody that just absolutely adores everything about themselves? No. Because I've met people that are into themselves, but they aren't always happy with what they are. Okay. I mean, yeah, I've met very confident people and confident in who they are. Like, they don't have to go and change things about themselves. They accept themselves for who they are. So, yes, I have met those types of people. Yeah. Uh, would you say that that is a minority of people or a majority of people that you've met that are confident and love themselves uh, for who they are? Maybe not everything about themselves. Yes, I understand there's always things that we're always wanting to prove on, but those that are really confident, have you recognized that that's a majority or a minority of people? I don't think we really get to know people that intimately. Okay. Because usually somebody's not going to go and say, hi, my name is so-and-so and I hate myself. <laughs> Just thought I'd tell you that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I mean, there's little things that we see about other people. Do you ever notice that it seems to be, I mean, to me anyways, and maybe it's just how the people that I surround myself with, but a lot of us are harder on ourselves. A lot of my friends, a lot of my family members. Go ahead. Like yourself. Yeah, you're really okay. hard on yourself. Yeah, and I was going to say, because I'm hard on myself. But it's because we know you. It's because we're around you every day. But if somebody was around you every day, they wouldn't know you ever thought those things because usually those things are really between you and God. Okay. Very good. Those things of confidence can be displayed in a way that. Because if we show weakness, nobody's going to want to be around you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, is it important to have a love for ourselves? Yes. What do you guys think? Yes. Yes. With all of that in mind, this is a complex topic, and love is one of the most complex and misunderstood topics I think there are in the world. And we've talked about love several times before, and we're going to talk about love again, and we're going to do it in a different way today. We're going to do it in a way that is reflecting upon our identity and ourselves. This begins, this love begins with our Heavenly Father giving his love to us, he even expressed his love in the action of giving us an example of what love truly is, which we read about in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And in this regard, we see the Savior as one who is rescuing us, not condemning us, is giving us love, is giving us life. And this is the same type of definition or attitude that we are to have reciprocated back to God and to others. But most importantly, it is an embodiment of what love truly is 
to ourselves. So what defines us as human beings? Our character. <clears throat> Stole mine. <laughs> Our beauty marks. All <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, my moles on my face. <laughs> the way I... We're proportioned our bodies. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everybody's spatial arrangement and body arrangement is unique to them. That's very true. Our age sometimes. Mm -hmm. Could be our voice. Mm, definitely. I mean, our voice. I can recognize you. As soon as I hear your voice, you can be at the other end of a, a busy room with a lot of people talking. And I can actually understand who's in the room because I know my wife's there because I can hear her voice. And I know my children are there. I can hear their voice. I remember when... Mallory was little and she would cry or she would say something like when she could start speaking as she was a little baby uh, as she could start speaking I knew her cry and like if there, she was out with a bunch of other people and they were crying I would not worry because I was always like ah that's not Mallory I knew when it was Mallory I, I recognized I identified her voice this is obviously not an exhaustive list but there are a few things characteristics traits, etc., that I want to talk about as ways that we measure our identity or the identity we feel that we've been given. Again, it's not an exhaustive list, but one of the ways that I see that we identify ourselves as people is by our family. We identify ourselves by our family. A lot of things we've talked about so far are facial features, our body type, our voices. Those are all determined by what family we come from who our parents are, what is our family name, what is our family's culture. Maybe we have a family business and we identify ourselves in accordance with that family business. And the other thing that has become really big recently is this whole genetic thing, right? Now you can send off and get your DNA tested and see what your gene genetics are so that that way not only can you determine what your past was, but it can help you determine what your future is. We're really concerned about our future and we use our family and our genetics in order to be an identifier of who we are as a person. That's the way we seem to be acting and reacting here in the 21st century, correct? Correct. Is there anything else within the family regard that we identify ourselves with? Sometimes we identify ourselves by our parents' job. My parents do this, so therefore this is the kind of person I have to be. Or it could be the reverse. My parents like this, so then therefore I don't want to be like that and switch it around. Very true. Sometimes our culture identifies us, our family's culture the way we look back over our history, this is the way my great-great-great-grandfather was, and this is the way my great-great-grandfather was, and we keep on seeing those things, so then we use those as identifying markers for who we're going to become in the future, because we're insecure in ourselves and who God had created has created us to be. All right, so family. Second thing that I want to look at is our performance and or our positions. In life, that is an identifier for a lot of us. Your school performance, your grades, what is your social life within university or school age? What titles do you hold as a student? Those are identifiers. When we move into work or if we're working while we're students, 
We identify ourselves according to our work performance. What is our level in the company? What title have we been given there? What certifi certificates have we earned in order to show our intelligence of how well we can do a job that's been put before us? Or we identify ourselves with the length of time we've been in a certain position or with a certain company. I also see that within performance and position, there's the whole athlete or not situation, right? Are you athletic? Well, then that's the sphere of people that you're hanging out with all the time. If you're not, then you're hanging out with another group of people. What if you're more into books and into education and into studying and into chess or into video games? Then you start identifying yourself around people that look exactly like you, right? Mm -hmm. The types of movies that you watch or the TV shows that are your favorite. These are identifying characteristics even so much so that we've started putting them as merchandise of things that we wear on our person, whether it be a t-shirt or a hair bow or the type of glasses we wear, which goes right into the types of clothings that we wear. Where do you shop at? And then we start identifying ourselves according to those things. And we think when we're in elementary school, we think when we're in secondary school, that one day these things are going to change and they're going to be obsolete and people will no longer look at the, the um, label that is on our clothing. But yet as we've grown up, we realize people still do look at the types of clothes you wear and then they judge you in accordance with whether they can hang out with you or not because of your possessions or your clothes. Sometimes your hairstyle determines your identity. Sometimes your weight, your makeup. Do you wear makeup? Do you not wear makeup? What type of makeup do you wear? How do you do your makeup? What tutorials do you watch about makeup? These are all conversation pieces that we have within our conversation, but they're also ways that determine how we identify ourselves. What hobbies do we have? What things do we like? Who's your favorite sports team? Well, I can't like that guy because that guy likes that sports team. And then we automatically identify ourselves as the person that likes this sports team instead. And so because I'm such a huge fan of this athletic sports team, that is who I associate myself with because this is my identity. What other things within our performance and or our positions, hobbies, etc. do we do? Status. Hmm. And we identify ourselves according to how much money our parents make or how much or where we are in life. Mm -hmm. Are you living in the poor area or the rich area? Mm -hmm. um, recently, since uh, apparently everything is about being gay now, for what reason, I have no idea how it's such a big deal now. Um, people start asking, do you identify as he, they, she? The pronoun thing. The yeah. pronoun thing. Like the pronoun things. I don't get it. Okay. All right. So we identify ways that we identify ourselves or we measure ourselves of what our given identity can be within our family context, our performance or our position context. And thirdly, sometimes we identify ourselves strictly by this, and that is the lies that we're fed. What I mean by that is we are constantly told in our society that you have to be who you are in your heart. Your heart will never lie to you. It will tell you exactly the way you're supposed to go. But what happens those billions of times that our heart is in complete conflict? Who's the determiner then? Well, our determiner is 
what everybody else lies to us about and tells us to think about ourselves. Oh, you've been raised in India all of your life and you think that you're Indian, but your skin's not brown. So therefore, obviously you're not Indian. And yet you meet somebody in America who has brown skin and they grew up all their life there and their parents moved to America whenever they were a baby and they identified themselves as Indian and not American because that's what everyone around them has told them what to believe. We get really confused in the whole third culture thing whenever we do relocate and move abroad to different places and it confuses us and sometimes we buy into the lie and it feeds into our heart and our heart then lies to us about who we are in our identity. Maybe your friends tell you a bunch of lies. Maybe your friends are constantly judging you and telling you the way you're supposed to think and the way you're supposed to act. And because of the people that you're surrounded with, you identify yourself in accordance with their opinions and the lie, which is contrary to who you really are. Maybe you've bought into a certain political party. Whatever their political stance is, that's the stance that you hold firm to be true. That's who I am. I believe this leader so much. I identify with them. This becomes your identity. And so therefore you feed yourself full of the same lies that they're telling so that that way it becomes a part of who you are and it becomes your identity. Or maybe as even Mallory was bringing up just a second ago, maybe it's society that's telling you how to behave and how to act and how to talk and how to write. And you buy into those lies of society that are contrary to what you know is the truth and contrary to what you know is reality. And you don't understand why is everybody telling me to do this when that just isn't, that isn't true. It's a lie. Because what is the opposite of the truth? A lie. <laughs> Definitely it's a lie. And maybe you've bought into the lies of your culture Maybe your culture has become so steeped in a lie that that's the way everybody within your culture identifies themselves so that that way you believe that you have to act the same way as everybody else within your culture. So therefore you reject anybody and everybody that believes differently than you do. And as a result, because of all these lies, the lies of your heart, the lies of your friends, the lies of your pol of politicians and society and your culture, what you start to do is you start to hate yourself because you're not being your true self. You're being somebody else. And you hate that about yourself. Have you ever noticed that about people that they start identifying? Xavier, you were kind of bringing that up here at the beginning that you know people that they like who they are, but they don't really like who they are. Yeah. It can kind of change. It's like as a little child, we're attended by our parents and or a um, guardian or grandmother or grandfather. And they dress, dress us accordingly, feed us accordingly. And as we venture out into the schools, then that's when our first little hearts get broken. We may be made fun of by our peers. Mm. Or we're scolded for our shyness or our outward vocalness. We're reprimanded and it's like, wait a minute, I was just in my family and I was safe there. I was okay there. Why in the world are my parents throwing me in this new circumstance where people don't like me here? And it, it messes with the brain. It's a psychological 
development that a child goes through, walks through. And who am I? Do I want to please my teacher? Do I want to please my ma'am or my sir? Do I, I know I need to be pleasing my, my mother and my father and my loved ones. When you don't have those guiding marks and those guiding line of, I mean, even reading the principles of the Bible, when we're not faithfully doing that, we're really fully reliant upon those that are raising us. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the teenage years, well, then that gets pretty screwy because then you revert away from mom and dad. You revert away from your loved ones and you trust more and more into your friends and into your peers or people that you think are your friends but really aren't your friends. And then maybe someone is interested in you and they're a little bit older or a lot older. Well, you know, it could be a, a cousin. It could be a an uncle or an aunt. And it's like, you try to figure out, well, what does life look like? Because when you're in those teenage years, you think you're pretty much grown up. Like, I know everything. I have arrived. And <laughs> nobody's going to tell me what I can and cannot do. And then you go on to university. And that's a whole nother ball game Because you really are away from mom and dad. You really are away from your loved ones. Not unless if you happen to go to the same university as, as your family members. I mean, that could possibly happen. But you begin to discover who you are and who you want to be. And you may change your image. You may grow out your hair. You may grow out your facial hair. You may change up your makeup. You may change out your outward appearance. Sometimes you may change your inward appearance as well. Like, I don't like this about me. I want to try to be like this. You keep going and then you go into your career. Well, who am I in my career? Who am I to my my parents as a career person? I mean, it just a lot of life, a lot of life happens because... We start beginning to, to lose friends, and that could be either through death or some tragic accidents. We start seeing loved ones pass away, and then we start reminiscing of, well, how much time do I have left here on this earth? Do I even love myself? Because, I mean, how much did my grandfather love themselves, you know, and they passed away. Are they excited that they lived as much life as they could possibly here on this earth? And so we're left with a lot of unknowns, a lot of deep questions that who do we go to for that? Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot of self-reflection and it's either in those moments we love ourselves or we don't. I mean, if we've ever had a, a parent commit suicide at a certain age, and then we're at that same age as that parent was. Do I commit suicide? Do I not commit suicide? What or a health it? issue, right? Health My issues, father died sure. at 45, and now I'm 44. Am I going to die at 40? Right. Not, not This is just a hypothetical, no, but definitely. there are a lot of people that go through that as well. Yeah, you're exactly on the right track. Those are just some things that, I mean, a lot of life happens, and it's, am I okay with who I am and who I am becoming and still becoming? When I asked Christ Jesus into my heart as an eight-year-old, the separator I have found for me is my love for the Lord. Mm. And if I can go genuinely into a meeting or genuinely into a new surrounding or a new place and not try to be different, like shifting to India and immediately putting on all the beautiful uh, wear that Indians wear, really submersing myself into a culture that I have no idea about. I think I would look pretty foolish doing that. 
And so when shifting to India, that was an embattlement for me of who, who am I and who am I here in India um, as a young woman, as a mom of three, a married woman, an American woman, and wanting, wanting to learn the culture, wanting to learn the language, wanting to learn uh, the, the, the lifestyle, knowing that I wouldn't fully be able to accomplish it because I still have my past upbringing of who I am. I strive to be who I am and who I am in Christ and being respectful in the, in the culture that I live in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you brought up your faith in Christ, how it changed your outlook on things, but yet it's something that still is an embattlement and something that you are grappling with even to this day and one that I do as well. Xavier and Mallory, I'm sure you guys still grapple with the different identifiers of who you are in accordance with some of the things that we've talked about so far, which brings me to the fourth thing. So some of our identifiers are found within our family, our performance, our position, our likes, those lies that we're told, those things really affect us. So we start, especially if we buy into some of the lies. And then the fourth thing that really is a huge identifier of defining us and who we are is God himself through Christ, our Lord, Jesus Christ, our master, our savior, who created us. He created us in our mother's womb. He created us like before we even came out of our mother's womb, we're conceived in our mother's womb. And I, I remember talking with this uh, uh, to a friend just a couple of days ago about the fact that I remember when Blair, you were pregnant and we, we would spend hours talking to the baby when it was inside of Blair's womb. If it was Addison, if it was Xavier, if it was Mallory, and the baby reacted even in the mother's womb to the point where they heard us, understood us. When they, when the child was born, they knew exactly who we were and identified us by our voice. That's how much God, our creator, is knitting us together inside of our mother's womb. If a physical, earthly father and mother can talk to the child and the child recognize them when they've come out of the womb, that's how God is creating you or did start creating you when you were in your mother's womb. And then Blair brought up a very valid and important point that I want to bring across today, and that is, is that we're constantly becoming who God created us to be. We have not arrived to the point where all of a sudden we can say, done, I am exactly who God created me to be today, and I will never change from this moment on because I have achieved perfection. That moment comes in death. That moment comes when God calls us home and he fills us with his perfection and we are united as one with him as Jesus spoke about and we've read about so many times before. So the creator is the one that helps us identify ourselves. And if we're not spending time with God, then we are rejecting one of the very important persons that helps us identify who we are. Now, as Christians, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one body. He is a triune God that we worship. And so the embodiment of the gifts that the Holy Spirit grants us, the gifts of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those gifts 
he's giving of himself to us. And so if you identify yourself as a person who's not very loving, then spend time with your creator who is the very embodiment of love. If you see yourself as somebody who's not very good, spend more time with our creator who is the embodiment of goodness. If you don't identify yourself as somebody who's very patient, spend more time with the one who is ultimate patience. And he will start growing those characteristics inside of you so that that way you will be a person who is defined as a patient person. And you can go on with these of the gifts of who the Holy Spirit is. Another portion of who God is, is the Son, and that is our Savior. Often this means in Christ, Jesus' sacrificial love for us is that he rescues us from ourselves. He died on the cross so that we could be saved, so that our sins would be forgiven, so that we would be new creations in Christ, but most importantly, that all traumatic thing that we continue to beat ourselves up with all the time, which is, I made another mistake, even after I gave my heart to Jesus. But Jesus died not just for a one-time salvation. One of the things that I've noticed while I've lived here in Asia, specifically in India, is that we think that a dip in a river or in a tank in a holy place, one time grants us a lifetime of salvation. And I've also noticed that all of my friends that have done those things continue to struggle with sin in their lives. The beauty of Jesus and the beauty of what we talked about last or two weeks ago when we talked about water baptism and communion is that is water baptism an important thing, an ordinance of the church? It is. But that one time event is an outward reflection of what happens inwardly inside of us every single day because of Christ Jesus, not because of the place that we were baptized at. If you want total freedom, if you want total salvation, if you want to find out your true identity, surrender yourself from all of this pantheon of gods that the world is talking about and give yourself to Christ alone the true creator and master of this whole entire galaxy, universe, expanding universe, etc., etc. He's the one that spoke it all into existence in the first place. And he's the one that can help you to identify exactly who you are and to love yourself. All right, so therefore, let us discover our identity by spending time with God, our creator, king, and master, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to mold us and shape us and help us to become, allowing him to draw out of us the best of who he created us to be. Let's start rejecting society, culture, our hearts, and even others when they disagree with the understanding that we've come to when we've spent that time alone with God and he is bringing out of us our true identity. And let us not focus on just one heart definition of our identity. 
I identify myself with this athletic team and that's the only thing that I can identify myself with. So therefore that's why my hat is this way and my car has the paraphernalia. That's why my, uh, all I can talk about is the statistics of my favorite athletic team. Let's not, let's not focus in. Our identity is not encompassed solely within even the athletes that play for your favorite team don't only see themselves in that kind of regard. They see themselves in a larger light than that. Why do we funnel all of our identifying factors into just one thing when we are created to be so much more? It cracks me up when I go in and talk with people about doing different types of business because they say, "Are you? A, you're a consultant, so does that mean you're a?" It's always this: you're a marketing consultant, and I talk about the full vision of the way that I do consultancy work. And the amazing thing is, is that sometimes that confuses people because they like to funnel everything down into, "Oh, you're just an expert in this one area," and yet I have an expertise across an array of. Th- situations, scenarios, law, business, everything. And that's hard for people to comprehend because I don't funnel everything that I am into just one thing because when I'm spending time with Jesus, he speaks to me because he is alive today and he shows me all the cool things that I can do and not just do as a jack of all trades and master of none, but as a true master of all of the different things that he's given me the ability to do. It's amazing when we will allow him to bring out of us what he's created us to do, all of the quote-unquote hidden talents that come to light. So now for some questions. In John chapter 15 verses 12 through 13, how did Christ prove his love for me? This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I love you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Is the answer supposed to be love? How did Jesus show his love for us? How did he By laying down his his life for his friends, which are us, meaning dying on on a cross. Hang on, let me ask the question. How did Christ prove his love for you? Well, according to the scripture, greater love hath no man than a man that lays down his life for his friends. And in that, Christ laid down his life for us, that way we might have salvation. And so he considers us all his friends, and he loves us so much that he laid down his life, so that way we might be saved or have the opportunity to be with him. So now let me ask a follow-up question along with this passage of scripture especially on the part that it says that uh, you love one another as I have loved you. So Christ loved you and we're to love other people. So if he loved you, what does that mean? Not just he died on the cross for my sins, but he loves me so much. I don't have to hate myself. Right. He loved you first. Yes, exactly. He's the first person who loved us because when we're in our mother's womb our mother doesn't even know that we've been conceived yet and so he was the first one to love us because he's knitting us perfectly and forming us in our mother's womb i mean how exciting is that right i mean to put it in perspective before we ever have a clue 
when our life was first conceived ourselves, God already loved us before our parents loved us. He loved us before our grandparents loved us, before our siblings loved us. He definitely loved us before any of our friends or neighbors loved us. He's our first love. And he loves us so much that he wants us to love those that are around us. So in other words, is your love for your countrymen, your neighbors, is that reflective of the love that you feel or believe that you're receiving from Christ? And that's why you have such hatred for them because you really believe God hates you? Or are you just reciprocating what you don't understand as your identity because you've been lied to so much to others that that's what comes bubbling out? Romans chapter five, verses five through eight. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will sacredly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did you do to earn Christ's love? Nothing. Nothing at all. What do we have to do to earn his love? Nothing. Nothing. He loves us because he created us. You are loved. You're loved, not just by us, not just by your parents. God, the creator who knit you together in your mother's womb, that first love, as Blair brought up just a second ago, he loves you and there's nothing you have to do to earn his love. Next passage of scripture, Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend on the law and the prophets. This is a rhetorical question that I'm about to ask, but I want to know, how is it that you apply this greatest commandment? How do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Is it by spending time with him? Oh, but I don't have time to spend with him because of my job. Then it, perhaps you need to revisit loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You don't love yourself today? Maybe you need to revisit getting in communion with our creator. Next passage of scripture is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? What actions does God expect of his people? So first, to fear the Lord. Mm-hmm. He's serious. He is serious. Mm -hmm. And then walk in his ways. We are given the Holy Bible. It is free to all. And you can get it on your apps for free. I think version passed like 50 billion or 50 million downloads this uh, past week. Like I saw it all over uh, social media with some of my Christian friends. So 
memorizing God's scripture and walking in it and not just ignoring parts that mm, maybe that's not for me. That's for the younger generation. No, it's the Old Testament and New Testament is for all. Yeah. Uh, and then to love him, love, love God with all of our heart, soul and mind mm-hmm. and everything. And then to serve the Lord and serve the Lord to the best of our being that we know how. And that serving man heartily as to the Lord and not unto man, but just giving our, our all as if we're serving Christ. And when you say not unto man, basically you're talking about like posing for pictures so that that way you can get accolades from other people or you can put them up in your office so that people can say, oh, you give to that. That's serving yourself then at that moment, right? John chapter 14, 22 through 24. That's me. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. What commandment does God make to those who love him? Well, if anyone loves him, he will keep his word and his commandments. And in that, the Father, or God, will love us and will come unto us and make a home with us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. How are you to live for God? We want to be sweet-smelling sacrifice. We walk in love. Walk in love? I want to be a sweet-smelling sacrifice. <laughs> what does that first verse say? Followers of God. Yeah. Dear children. Yes. Be a follower of God. And another passage of scripture, same passage of scripture, another version of the Bible says, be an imitator of God. First John chapter four, verses seven through eight. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not Love God does not know God because God is love. God is love. What do you need to be in order to really love? Yourself. That's a great answer. If you are who he created you to be, then that is one way that we show that we really love God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. How is your love for others to affect 
your relationship with others. You're not getting on WhatsApp and calling your dear neighbor oh a loser. Because, um, you know, you have certain different types of love, right? Because mm -hmm. you have this amounts of love and joy and, like, all for God. And then you have a love for your family members. And then you also have a love for your husband. And you have to make sure that that love doesn't go over God's love. And then you have love for friends, which is just a friendly love, not as in as if you like them. Because mm -hmm. you have to make sure that they know that you love them, but just as friends. This passage of scripture says that if you hate your brother, then you don't love God. If you hate your neighbor, you can't love God. If you hate a person because of any reason, that person was created by God. And that shows your direct hatred of God within your hatred for that person. That's what this passage of scripture is talking about. So it's very important for us to reciprocate our love for others as God loved us. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that we will worship you all the time and pray all the time and love you all the time. Jesus, and I pray. Amen. If you have any questions or if you have anything that you want to comment to us, you can find us on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn. You can find us on Twitter. Five Alive, out.